Welcome to Tramlines, a podcast from Agri. I'm your host, Tony Smith, putting your questions to the experts. In this episode, I'm talking to Agri's vegetable and arable agronomist, Catherine Styon. Today, we will be looking at the vegetable sector. What are the challenges that growers are facing and what can the arable sector learn from the techniques and approaches taken by these growers? So let's ask one of Agri's experts. Good morning, Catherine. How are you today? Yeah, very well, thank you. Excellent. Well, great to meet you, Catherine. And I'm really looking forward to this podcast and learning a little bit about what we can take from the veg sector. But to start off with, um, why not tell us a bit about how you actually got into agriculture yourself? So I'm part of a farming family, so born and bred into agriculture. Um, my parents are first generation fruit and veg farmers in the Vale of Evesham. So in, right in the heart of um, the fruit and veg world, really, in, in UK agriculture. And uh, yeah, so I've grown up around it. Uh, at the age of 17, I had had enough of it and thought I need to go off to the big city and uh, went and often did a geography degree and quickly learned that actually agriculture is in my heart and uh, came back to agriculture quite quickly doing a master's in agronomy and then joining Agri six years ago. That, that sounds like quite a journey, but I, I love the way you talked about going to the city and finding out that your heart was in agriculture and farming. Well, fantastic stuff. So when it comes down to the vegetable crops that you're looking at and the growers that you're dealing with, uh, what trends are you seeing in the veg sector? Uh, the trends are becoming more professional growers. The The days of having lots of little growers around the Vale of Evesham especially are starting to dry up now. And there's, you know, big professional outfits that are covering more land, more acres and really specialising in the crops that they're growing. So it used to be that they'd grow 10, 15 different crops each. And then now it's moving more into specialising, growing sort of two or three different crops and really making a good go of growing those crops as professionally as they can and then supplying the supermarkets and the different uh, wholesale markets with that produce. Right. And what crops are you specifically looking at? So I look after a lot of salad onions, alliums, uh, purple sprouting broccoli, uh, asparagus and then quite a lot of baby leaf crops, which are actually indoor crops grown in polytunnels. And then there's some tomatoes and chilies on top of that as well. But I do still look after the parents' farm where they are traditional market gardeners still and growing for farmer's market produce. So they've got an array of different produce, probably up to 30 different things at any one time. Right. So actually your parents' farm is, is market gardening or, or you know very specialist crops as well. So that, that really is, uh, that's very interesting. So you know what it's about. You know what those challenges are. Yeah, that upbringing definitely gave me the grounding of um, experience and just how to grow certain crops. Um, There's a lot of people in the industry that if they've only ever focused on wheat and barley crops before, to look at how a vegetable crop grows is completely different. So to have that experience growing up was obviously a great grounding uh, to do agronomy in veg crops. Yeah, Uh, but uh, I understand you also look after arable crops as well. I think when we spoke the other day, you were in a field of all-seed rape. Is that right? Yes, yeah, I do do arable crops as well. So uh, arable crops is sort of the mainstay of agronomy as an agronomy role. And then there are several of us that specialise in doing vegetable crops as well. Okay, very interesting. So from an agronomy perspective, what do you see as the, the, the main agronomic challenges facing these veg growers? The main challenges is loss of, loss of products, loss of active ingredients that we can use on, on the crops. Um, 
you know, through the last 10, 15 years, there's been a huge push on re-registration of actives and we've lost a lot of actives on that. And uh, so it is becoming more and more specialised, actually looking after the crops and, and finding ways where you can grow that crop efficiently, effectively and to the right quality standards that the supermarkets are asking you for. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely the biggest challenge at the moment. And I'd, I'd imagine in some of these crops, let's take alliums for an example, that, you know, losing a key active, whether it's a herbicide or a fungicide, can, can really be a very challenging situation for the growers. Yeah, the alliums have been especially hit the last five years. Um, they've been really, really hit, both fungicides and herbicides being taken away. Um, the latest one is Mancazeb, which at the moment we don't really know what's happening. Um, in Europe, when we were part of Europe, they were banning Mancazeb. Um, and then here at the moment, we still haven't got a date for when they're going to revoke it. Um, but it does provide the main source of protection against downy mildew in onions. And without it, it's going to be a real challenge. Uh, and even before the active ingredient is revoked, I understand that some of the manufacturers may decide that it's, it's just not economic for them to actually produce that product. It, so, so, so what's your way through? What, what, what can you do to help these growers? It's very difficult is the answer um, and we're, we're having to be led down the path of using a product that is slightly substandard to what we could use if the manufacturer was still using it. Um, there's a, a potato fungicide called Invader um, and unfortunately the makers of that decided that they weren't going to make any more earlier this year and so in salad onions we've been left with Pubol Gold which has also been running short and um, yeah at the moment we're kind of left with no options. Um, and they are looking towards getting stock in for next year, but without a revocation date, how do you know what to what to bring in? Yeah, sure. Um, that's that's the most difficult thing is the is the unknown, really. And, and I, I know that the team at Agri that uh, look at supply and, and getting products into stock will be working very hard at that. But I also understand that in the background, Agri is conducting trials, looking at specific alliums and other veg crops to try and find the way through it, are you aware of those trials? Yeah, that's right. So I'm actually part of the veg technical team uh, within Agri, and we've got quite extensive trials that we run, um, quite a few around this area, and then quite a few in Lincolnshire, which are sort of the two big hubs of veg production in the UK. And we're constantly looking for ways around the issues that, that we're presented with. And so quite a big focus recently has been on alliums. Uh, there's also quite a lot done on brassicas and on beans, door French beans, picking peas, um, and things like that, because they they present us with the main groups of veg that we grow in this country. Um, and we also have a display trial at Elson Seeds, which will be open next month. And that's where we like to showcase some of our trial information that we've gathered over the last year and present that to to the industry, basically, to show that we are trying to find ways around these problems and um, give people solutions. OK, well, that makes sense to me. Uh, what other issues are growers facing in the veg sector? I think the loss of land is a big one as well and the rotation of land. Uh, you have some problems with diseases that stay in the soil. Things like sclerotinia, fusarium, white rot can cause big problems for land and if that land is overused for a certain sector of vegetables that's when the build-up of the disease happens and now with the loss of chemistry you haven't got anything to tackle those problems with. So it just writes off that land, even though it could be a very good soil for growing veg in. If it's got white rot in, you can't grow onions. 
and and it's as simple as that really so rotation of of veg land that is suitable um is is really difficult and for that farmers try and maximize the area that they they can grow veg on and that that in itself can cause quite a lot of problems um compaction bad rutting headlands things like that uh, can be a real issue sure so there's two things that i think you've mentioned there the first is availability of land so what, what does a grower do about that what what can they do it's very very difficult um ultimately i think a lot of growers now are forming relationships with with growers that have got suitable land and they're trying to work together to make sure that they're making the best of that land and veg land traditionally has been cultivated a lot um part of the issue is where people are trying not to cultivate their land and then it's the flip side of wanting a veg crop because it can demand quite a high land rent um it's quite a difficult one to sort of improve soil qualities and also have veg in the rotation so it's a, it's a big balancing act and it's just going to need a lot of talking between growers really um which we are starting to see down in evesham um there's a lot of cooperation going on in lincolnshire there's a lot more competition for land so i think it is driven more by money than it is by relationships which is a shame, but it's probably what needs to change up there. Right. So from what you're finding, cooperation and good conversations are, are helping growers find that ground. That's one way through. You also talked about soils there. Um, and I know when we were talking earlier, we talked about soils and headland compaction. So, you know, I can see growers when they get that land wanting to use every single foot of uh, of good soil that they possibly can and going right up to the headlands so what, what what are your views on that you know what's the way through there um yeah well that is absolutely right they've got to use every square meter that they possibly can um the the issue that it does present is things like where irrigation lines are going and um, where you get leaks in the irrigation causing big rutting big floods in the field essentially People are forever asking me, why is my truck so dirty when it's been dry for the last four weeks? And the answer is onion fields, unfortunately, because they need water to grow. And if it hasn't rained, they need to use irrigation, which causes big areas of sort of concentrated flood water, as it were, um, which it's not good for the land to be under that pressure all the time. Um, and the resilience of the soil is really tested doing veg, veg land um, growing because it is cultivated quite a lot and they're not necessarily putting much organic matter back into the soil um, which is that's the first way of getting better resilience in your soil really um, so yeah it's it's not ideal but you know some growers now they're starting to look to using composts and soil conditioners to try and improve that and get the best out of it and I'm trying to encourage growers to have permanent tracks rather than making sort of tracks through the season by just compacting the soil um, because it will help with harvest anyway and helps reduce how much mud's getting onto the road when they're when they're pulling the boxes out. So some good tips there Catherine but just playing devil's advocate here if I'm renting some land why should I look after that soil why should I invest in it? So as I said before um, people around here are now forming relationships with arable growers to try and get that land on a more permanent basis. So uh, one grower that I have, they have, uh, it's an arable farm, and then they have two different vegetable growers that rent land in rotation with his arable crops to, you know, have, have a set rotation, basically. And he's formed a good relationship with them. Um, they know that they can consistently rent fields from him 
and they know you know it it works both ways really and they all know that if they're all inputting into the quality of that land they're all going to benefit at the end of the day so um everyone's putting compost on basically um of different types the arable farmer also has a chicken farm so he's making chicken manure compost um, by mixing chicken manure and straw and the vegetable growers are using green waste compost um which that's to do with a safety standard before before vegetable crops um but ultimately they're all putting organic matter into the soil which in time should benefit the soil long term um but they're only going to do that if they know that they've got that land to farm long term sure so it, it, it links back to that word that you used which is cooperation isn't it absolutely yeah, yeah. Co- cooperation is key and you know cooperation is key in terms of land and managing land but it is also about sharing information as well and i i personally think there needs to be more cooperation between growers um about sharing information and it's all it's always been very very kept on like i'm doing this and i don't want anyone else to know that i'm doing this and and that has been a classic revolution mentality for quite a long time but ultimately the only way the veg industry is going to move forward is by sharing information and cooperating okay good point made good point um what can the arable sector learn from the veg sector, do you think? There's a huge amount of crossover, and I think both industries can learn from each other. Um, within the veg industry, integrated pest management has been a long-standing thing that we've done. Um, looking at brassicas, for instance, and trying to promote beneficial insects has been a really, really key part of, of growing brassica crops and reducing the reliance on insecticides. And, you know, if you've got ladybirds, lacewings and hoverflies in your crop, the last thing you want to do is spray it with a pyrethroid because all you're going to do is kill your beneficials and probably not really touch your aphids. Um, and it's things like that that I think arable growers are definitely starting to cotton on to. There has been a move towards less insecticide use um, in arable crops, especially Aussie grape. I think people have really seen that there's not huge benefit to spraying for flea beetle anymore, but you're probably potentially losing beneficial insects that could have uh, more of a more of a benefit than actually the flea beetles causing harm and this is really interesting Catherine because it reminds me of the conversation we were having earlier about Agri's Green Horizons initiative and what I'm interested in is what other growers of other crops can learn from the veg sector in terms of some of those key points for example integrated whole farm solutions you know IPM those things the veg sector are doing so well yeah I think um, veg especially has been very good at modeling for a long time the horticultural models that you have for pests so carrot fly aphids things like that have then started to transfer into arable crops so um, we now have a BYDV model for modeling air temperature and therefore aphid aphid monitoring for possible transmission of BYDV and it's technology like that that started in the horticultural sector that is now starting to feed into arable more and more. Um, so, you know, that's something that we're really, really key on because ultimately it is reducing the use of insecticides in the arable crops as well as horticultural crops. Um, you know, the it's the mindset really as well um, of how people are growing their crop and how they're thinking about the environment around their crop. and the use of sort of stewardship strips and places where beneficials can live. Um, Actually, I think the arable farmers have been better 
on that the last few years and that's something that the veg growers need to sort of bring into their system of having flower margins having you know rough grasses things like that around the edges of their fields because they can they'd be able to see a lot of benefit from the animals and the invertebrates that can live in those areas so actually as much as the arable sector can learn from the veg sector actually the veg sector can also learn some things from the arable so that's fantastic yeah absolutely and i think i think the arable farmers there's there's a movement towards regen ag um no-till soil and things like that and you know that that has been really looking at soil structure and how we can improve the soil how we can reduce on cultivations reduce diesel use um and the veg sector can probably learn a lot from that as well yeah and there are a lot of issues facing growers of all crops aren't there what opportunities do you think the veg growers have got to look forward to um, over the next few years? Well, there's huge technology improvements in veg. Um, looking at robots and things like that are quite interesting. Um, but I think, you know, I think there is starting to be a shift now looking at homegrown food production. The issues that we've had with Brexit, with COVID, things like that, I think it has brought it home about food security and how reliant we are on imp- imported food. And I'm sure everyone over the last few weeks has seen shortages on the shelves and thinking, oh, God, what's going on here? And actually, if we put a better focus on British agriculture and we actually gave British veg farmers the sort of support that's required, really, um, that that wouldn't be a problem as far as I'm concerned. Um, part, Part of the issue is the standards that supermarkets think the consumer wants. And it's quite interesting to see the rise in the wonky veg section of the supermarket and how that's seemingly getting a bit more um, voice in the market. Um, I do find it quite interesting because it can sometimes source from exactly the same field as your non-wonky veg. um, And it just has a slightly different price tag to it. But at least it's getting people to think about uh, what's going on in the industry. and uh, yeah, I think, you know, there's the potential for, for veg farming to carry on and carry on improving over the next few years. Um, it's just going to look slightly different to what it has done the last 30 years. And if you were to share one top tip with your, uh, your listeners today, whether they're veg growers or um, arable growers, what would it be? Probably something along the lines of being resilient. Um, I think with every negative thing going on at the moment it's quite easy to sort of feel pulled down by the situation and actually I don't see any point in feeling like that you've just got to keep upbeat about it talk to people about what they're doing on their farm and try and learn as much as possible it's all about conversation and all about sharing ideas and even if you have a half an hour conversation with somebody and there's just one little point that they're doing that you could implement on your farm and it could really make a difference Well, thank you, Catherine, for a really interesting conversation with some great top tips there for both growers and farmers, whatever their crops. So that's it for this podcast, but do tune in again as we meet the experts throughout the season, exploring the many immediate and longer-term questions for growers and farmers in the UK. If you have any questions that you'd like us to ask the experts, email info at agri.co.uk. See you next time.